What's up, everyone? Welcome to BJJ and Brews. I am your co-host, Noah John. Before we get started with our guest, Alec Balding, I want to give you an update on the podcast. We have a YouTube channel, so check us out on YouTube if you're into YouTube. We have all the podcast episodes backlogged in there, ready to go. So you can check out all the podcasts we've ever recorded right on our YouTube channel. And all new podcasts will be published on YouTube right along with the audio versions on all your favorite audio platforms. So that's super cool. And it gives us the ability moving forward to put up video versions of the podcast, which is something we've got in the works. I don't know if that's going to be something that's a... Uh, special occasion sort of deal or if it's going to be something that's consistent but definitely it gives us the ability to do that but nevertheless I know a lot of people use YouTube to consume their content whether it be audio or video and now that we have the channel you can check us out there on social media we are at BJJM Brews on Instagram on Facebook uh, we actually have a Twitter now, but we don't use the Twitter. We just did it to reserve the handle so reach out to us on Instagram or Facebook not on Twitter. We don't do Twitter uh, what else? Oh, yeah. Email bjjmbrews at gmail.com if you want to reach out to us. That's our very public email. Now, our guest today, very special guest, huge honor for us to have this guy on, Alec Balding. The guy burst on the scene in 2018, winning the ADCC trials, East Coast trials, that is. Obviously, the guy had been competing and winning titles before that, but that's when he sort of rose to more mainstream prominence thanks to winning the East Coast Trials. The guy has instructionals on BJJ Fanatics. He's got his own instructional on ReverseDelaHiva.com. You can follow this guy through social media, at Alec Balding on Instagram. Alec was nice enough to spend an hour chatting with us over the phone while he was going for a stroll outside. Alec, we really appreciate the time, man. Thank you so much. And finally, just as a heads up, the audio quality is not going to be what you're used to hearing on our episodes simply for the fact that we recorded this over a phone call and you're going to hear some background noise. You're going to hear some stuff in the background. It is what it is, but just bear with us on this one. The conversation is totally worth it and we really appreciate, again, Alec making the time to jump on a call with us. But anyway, enough about this. It's Alec Balding. It's on BJJ and Brews and it starts right now. Uh, welcome to BJJ and Brews, everybody. I'm your host, Noah John, joined by Chris. Chris, say hi. Good day. <laughs> and today we are joined by Alec um, Baldwin joins us. Alec, thanks for joining us, man. We really appreciate it. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Not much. Not much. We actually, we just finished uh, jiu-jitsu class. And the um, we're sitting here at, at Noah's place. Got got the setup going. And, and, and here we go. <laughs> Um, so th thank you again for joining us, man. It it's so awesome. It's it's an honor, a huge honor for me, uh, <laughs> for you for you to join us, um, especially being not only just a celebrity but a little bit of like a local celebrity too. Um, you were in Orlando for a little bit, right? Yeah, I was there. Uh, man, time kind of flew by. I was there. I moved there right after ADCC, uh, like in October. Like literally, I left the tournament and I uh, moved to Orlando. And then I was there until like right before the quarantine hit. So, oh wow, almost. yeah, yeah. And you were prior to that. Were you in? I, I had watched your pre-interview before ADCC. You were in Sweden at the time, or? Yeah, so uh, I left Sweden right before ADCC, and then I just did like a training trip. I actually stopped in Orlando for a little bit. Went to Orlando, then I went to North Carolina. The train with Lucas Lepre. 
I was in New Jersey, Chicago, so I had like a little training training uh, trip planned before ADC. That's awesome. So when you're doing like your training camp, and, and actually, l let's do a two-part question on this when it comes to like, when you're in a training camp and when you're just day-to-day, uh, -day, not necessarily preparing for an event, a super fight or tournament, what is your like weekly schedule look like training-wise, both from a jiu-jitsu point of view and also from a strength and conditioning point of view? So when I'm not in a training camp, uh, either one. Let's say let's say you're out of training camp. Yeah, just just on regular a, on your day to day sort of thing. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I I taught a lot, so a lot of my training I would just do in my own classes. And when I lived in Sweden, I just taught uh, mostly nogi classes and kids classes. So um, yeah, I would just train with the students. And kind of the big the big benefit of being an instructor is that you can control the class. So if I wanted to work my wrestling, you know, I could just do, all right, guys, we're going to do wrestling all day. Or if there was a position giving me problems, I could just do specific sparring. So that really helped me because a lot of times, you know, say you're not the instructor, you just kind of got to do what everyone else is doing and not particularly what you need to work on. So I did a lot of positional sparring, specific stuff. And then I, I would hit the gym a lot, especially before ADCC. I was lifting a lot. Uh, a few times a week, just basic lifts, uh, you know, some type of press, some type of deadlift, and uh, just basic movements, nothing too crazy. Like, how many hours a week were you spending in the gym? Uh, like, jiu-jitsu gym or just... Uh, like, weightlifting, like, for your strength and conditioning in particular? Uh, not too too much time. I, I wouldn't spend longer than an hour. And I usually would just do, like, one lift, so... Oh really? Day. Yeah, nothing too crazy. Um, I think now I would add like more of a circuit, especially for like a tournament like ADCC where you just need super good conditioning. Uh, but it, it depends on what you're trying to do. If you want to build strength, you know, build strength. If you want to build your conditioning, uh, you do that. But I wouldn't mix both at the same time. So before a tournament, I probably would work more on my strength, and then closer towards the tournament, more. On that actually, you you answered one of my questions I meant to ask you too. Is like because you're you're a little like a world class competitor, and while you're teaching, oftentimes you know, unless you like you said you went to the Carolinas right to do a, a camp with Lapri. Yeah. Um. Like, how do you develop and hone your skills and and work on things that you want to work on with students who are at a at a vastly lower skill level than you? I mean, you can uh, you can always alter your your physical state so say i would go to the gym i could go to the gym like work out and then i could actually go and train and that way i would be a little bit more tired or you know weakened so there's ways to like uh adjust the training or say i'm going with someone new i could have them put me in a really terrible position <laughs> you know and that will balance it out so there's always workarounds and it, I, you know i know so many people they they always talk about how they don't have the right training partners or it's not tough enough or um, but I, I think you have to be able to make do with what you have and who you have. So uh, not everyone can move across the country to like one of their one or, or two of the top gyms. Sometimes you just got to stay where you are and uh, just be smart about your training. So Chris, uh, what caught his eye when he actually did some research was that you have a Taekwondo background and that's very near and dear to Chris. That's Chris's very near, yeah. <laughs> you are what, a second or third degree? I'm a third degree black, or I, I guess I was. Am I, am I still really a second or third degree black belt? <laughs> or, at this point, I've done jujitsu longer than I have Taekwondo at this point in my life, so. 
you know, that's why I, I, we all have skeletons in our closet. Um, was that something you started when you were like a kid and then like kind of grew out of it? Uh, I was a teenager. So I, I did Taekwondo before Jiu-Jitsu. And actually I found the, my grandmother found like an old uh, AAU certificate from when I competed back in Taekwondo. So oh, really? You competed then throwback. too? Yeah. I think I just did one tournament and then I was like, I don't like this. Really? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was like Olympic Taekwondo. So like no punches really, just mostly kicks. Um, but I, I'm, I'm glad I, I found Taekwondo because at the time Jiu-Jitsu wasn't super widespread and I... I was a teenager. I didn't have a car, really, a way to get around. So that was like uh, my intro, introductory, introductory to martial arts. So I, it could have been worse, you know. Maybe I could have ended up at like an Aikido school or you know one of those cults or something. <laughs> Do you um? So when you first started doing Taekwondo and now Jiu-Jitsu, like what has always sort of been your goal in training? Was it like you? I think a lot of times people join Jiu-Jitsu with like the idea of like oh i want to do you know quote ufc and they get punched a couple times they're like fuck this i want to do you know i just want to grapple and stuff instead <laughs> it's a lot more fun did you have like did you watch like hoist and kind of fall in love with like just the idea of fighting or did you the idea of doing jiu-jitsu after that and then just you you fell into the the whole competition system and that sort of thing i uh, i think like my pursuit of, of training was always about like self-discipline I always liked martial arts and what it kind of represented. And I, I didn't like team sports. I remember playing like peewee football and I just hated it because, you know, you can't control everything. You just, you know, you're part of a team. And then, I, I just, I, I really just liked the whole, like, uh, I just thought it was cool. Something I wanted to do. And um, I think once I did, it, I was like, man, this is amazing, you know. Um, so it wasn't like I wanted to fight or beat up anybody. I think I mostly wanted to do it just, to, uh, I mean, what, what else are you going to really find like self-discipline taught, you know, like it's pretty much have to do a martial art. So you, you never had MMA in mind at all? I, I thought about doing it. Uh, I also did some striking outside of, uh, Taekwondo. Like I did some Muay Thai for a little bit. Um, but I think uh, I think I just really like Jiu-Jitsu. Alec, you there? I mean, it's it's hard enough by itself. It's like, man, I don't have time, like, <laughs> uh, to really pursue striking. Especially At what when you point? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Competing in Jiu-Jitsu, like you, you know, when you start competing, usually you go all in, so you don't really have time really like train anything else when did you make that commitment or when did you make that decision in your mind that you were like you know i want to go all in when it comes to competitive grappling and pursue this like what belt level maybe hello i mean i i mean i was competing hello can you hear me yeah yeah we got you yeah we, we, we can hear you okay okay cool uh i had been competing a lot especially i think i started com like competing super a lot in college um but I don't, it was like a few years I think uh, it wasn't until I got my black belt that I was like, okay, let me try and do this as a way of living. And, because before it was just it was just a hobby. It was just something I was I just really wanted to do, and I also happened to train at one of the best academies at that time. So you just had to compete. Like there was no real choice. Like when the instructor said, "Hey guys, let's go compete," everybody would go. So 
Oh, really? Um, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't until I got, I think once I got my black belt, it's like, you, you had to make that decision, like, man, these guys are good, like, you can't half-ass this. Because I saw you, you went to college and got a degree in civil engineering, is it? Uh, math. Mathematics. Mathematics? So, like, yeah. the, like, you decided to give up a career in that, potentially, and just pursue jujitsu. I mean, was it... I mean, jujitsu sounds way more fun. Oh, than yeah, actuary. Yeah, <laughs> I, I double majored in computer science and math. So <laughs> on the math side, everyone said you can be an actuary, and I was like, okay. <laughs> wow, <I'm> so excited. <laughs> so um, I, I didn't start jujitsu at that point. I wasn't, a, you know, I followed the UFC and, and MMA, but it was only until more recently did I get into jujitsu. But if I knew about jujitsu back then, I definitely <laughs> would have made the same choice. You did. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm 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 happy I went to college uh, because I remember I remember like being in high school and like you know things have changed but back then there wasn't like professional jiu-jitsu it's like okay maybe have a school but in my head you had to be like a world champion to have a school so I I, I kind of felt like a lot of people looked down on on if you only did jiu-jitsu like <laughs> like people I, I don't know maybe it was just my interpretation but I always felt like if you weren't in school, like, what are you doing with your life? And uh, a, a lot of the guys I came up with, um, one good one good friend of mine, Chris Moriarty, I don't know if you guys know of him. Uh, yes, he's a, he's a black belt. He's a doctor too, right? Yeah, but there was a point where, you know, he was just competing all the time. And then I think he had, like, he came to that same kind of conclusion where he's like, what am I doing with my life? So, he, like, he, I remember when he made that transition from being a competitor to, like, going to med school. I think that influenced me a lot too, seeing guys like him and there's another guy, Ian McPherson. All the guys I was training with were, were also in college, you know, doing like these great things outside of the mat. What was you, so when you were before you devoted yourself full time to pursuing like a career in jujitsu? How many hours a week were you on the mat? I remember when I was in college, like, I was training a lot, but it's just, like, I was there all the time. Like, I remember I was just, it, it sounds pretty boring, but, you know, a lot of success is being boring. But I would just go go to school, get out of school, go teach kids class, stay, stay, and then, you know, do the adult class. And uh, there was times where I remember I got in trouble because I, I fell asleep on the mat one time. <laughs> <laughs> I had, like, all these uh, exams or something, and I just got to the gym, taught a class, and I, like, passed out. <laughs> <laughs> at the front door, at the front desk. <laughs> and so I, I pretty much just lived at the gym. Like I just spent all my time there. And this is at Alliance in Atlanta, right? Yeah. So I think uh, I think you got to do that. You have to go through that if you want to get really good. You just gotta man, you gotta sleep on the mat, and it sucks. And it's not for everybody. The um, that's interesting. Man. I I meant to ask you too. It's a part of one of the questions I had. Is like your your mat presence and your ability to break down and teach is is very good, um, exceptional. And and I'm amazed that you 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 give it away for free. Um, that's how I discovered it in the first place. Was I was in um, or I'm in the BJJ fanatics group on Facebook and oh, okay, you know like and you you offer a lot of really really good free content. Um, and you're an exceptional instructor. How, how long into your jujitsu career, like, did you start teaching kids classes and and just start to get into that like ecosystem of, of being a jujitsu professional? I, I started teaching. I, I think I started teaching like kids classes 
So I must have been like 17 or something. Just uh-huh. got like a car, so I was teaching. And um, I, I remember I sucked at it <laughs> for a good, good long time. It wasn't like, I think in my head I was like, man, as soon as I start teaching, I'm going to get better. And then it didn't work that way at all. Um, but I think I think going to school helped me become a better teacher, especially like studying something like math where you have to break down you know, complex topics. It just took a lot of time, and luckily I was around really great instructors, so I could kind of pick up what they were doing, how they would explain details, how they would help people, and um, I think the most important part was just patience, you know, how to, how to, like, convey the information the best, or as quickly as possible, and as best as possible, and uh, I think even just posting online, like, I use that to help me become a better instructor, like, how can I convey, you know, this information in, like, two minutes, <laughs> You know, most instructors, they throw an own and on. So I think posting online more helped me kind of uh, clue into, like, the, the major details, okay, and just how to, like, just explain techniques better, how to show the technique better. Even something as simple as adding, like, a little circle. Like, that sounds like the dumbest thing ever. But if I put a little circle where I want you to grab, and then people are like, oh, that's where I was supposed to do, you know. Uh, so I think uh, just a lot of patience. <laughs> At what point did you start? Uh, I guess, for lack of a better term, really trying to like brand yourself when it comes to the the regular posting of instructional videos on Instagram and and social media, that sort of thing. W- was that a gradual thing? Is that something that you that you had picked on, uh, picked up on from past experience? Like, what made you uh, get consistent with putting out content to help grow your brand as both a grappler and an instructor? I think my defining moment, I've, I've talked about this a few times, but I remember I won the, the ABCC trials, East Coast trials, and flow grappling. Like, uh, they did like this little podcast about all the guys that won. And then, man, they just completely like, <laughs> they talked about everybody except for me. Like, they just kind of uh, just, you know, I didn't stand out to them. So they just, they didn't even, uh, they couldn't remember my name or anything. So like, they talked about all the guys that won. So I think that was kind of a sore spot for me. And just realizing that, you know, if I'm going to, if I uh, want to make a name for myself, I have to do it. You can't wait on anyone. And, you know, with the technology now, you don't have to wait. Like, you can go out there now and promote yourself. And I, I wish more people would uh, do that, you know. I, there's so many good guys, like, they never post anything. <laughs> they, uh, I, I don't know, like, you know, hopefully, you know, maybe... They can win like a big tournament and have that kind of uh, market for them, but it, it's so hard. It's ho- so hard to stand out, you know. It seems like the pathway now is is you know a competitor has success as a competitor, winning a major tournament or placing in a major tournament, and then they leverage that to put out instructionals to go on you know seminar tours. I think Lachlan, you know, Giles is like the classic example of that most recently here's a guy who obviously was very reputable in the space but he had that breakout performance at adcc this past year and he immediately like capital i mean what he flew he what flew to new york and did his instructional like within a week (laughs) like strike when the iron's hot so i think um i can like the one thing i would say is as a guy who you know has been doing this a lot less than than you have a lot less than chris has you know i've been doing it you know, just coming up on three years now, 
I still don't necessarily have the radar to to know is this coming from uh, you know a reputable source or is this just some doofus posting the move of the week that he saw on YouTube a week before and putting his own slant on it that sort of thing. So um, it's hard to filter, you know, um, the good quality content from maybe the moves that look cool but maybe don't really work in, in execution. I think that's probably why you have people going back on the, well, if it's a competitor and he won some title or she won some title and probably like hold some weight what they're saying as opposed to just someone, even though there are plenty of, like you said, plenty of people that are extraordinary instructors that by personal choice, whatever, they're not competing. doesn't mean they have a lot, they don't have a lot of good stuff to put out there. So it's, um, sometimes it's overwhelming. I love going down the rabbit hole. <laughs> How do you, um, like, so, I, I I suspect a large, and I don't know whether this is ultimately true or not, but like I suspect a lot of why people put their name out there and sort of sell themselves and and, and brand themselves is like the idea of trade secrets. I mean, like, what what are your thoughts on that? Like, is there is there anything new under the sun that people haven't seen before? That if like everything that you've shown, for example, Alec, is it's just good sound fundamental technique and advice and tips on how to improve yourself very, very quickly in like a, like you said, like a two to three minute video, you know, is there, is that what people are afraid of? It's like, if I share too much, then people will catch on to my game and I'll, I won't be as good competitively and that sort of thing. Or is it just, they just maybe just don't know how to do it. Uh, I think it's a lot of factors. Uh, some guys terrible at marketing, <laughs> and, but they're also, there are some guys that, you know, they they have a specific style, and then they don't want people to figure it figure out their style. Um, I mean, you should. Uh, there, there are some things like maybe you should keep for your, like yourself. Maybe you want to put it on a DVD. You know, it's going to do really well. Um, but I, I found that just posting more it helped me. In what way did it help you? Get better as an instructor and also as a competitor. Okay, so from from, uh, from from your own jujitsu point of view, not from a branding point of view, you're saying it it helped like solidify techniques in your head. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know if you guys ever posted on Reddit before, <laughs> but it's like if if you post something and like you don't have a good grasp of the technique, like people are gonna pick it apart, you know. <laughs> So like when you post something, it's like okay, I know this move is gonna work. I've tested it. I know it's, it's sound. It's uh, man, it's helped me so much. And then competitively, um, like it helped me branch out a lot. So if you ever watch some of my videos, sometimes I have other people teaching, and so it's kind of you, you'll see me on there trying to learn a new move, and like I'm messing up the move. I did one pretty recently where I was just like, oh, everything was off. So. Uh, about, how do you go about uh, furthering your jujitsu knowledge? Are you someone that uh, likes studying instructionals, competition footage, competition footage? Like, what is your source when it comes to, or your preferred source when it comes to um, broadening your game and, and bringing? You yeah, know, are you watching tape of yourself? Are you watching tape of your opponents? Like, what are you? I, I, I mixed it up. Um, there was a time when I was coming up where I watched a lot of. Uh, I used to watch like DVD instructionals and like fall asleep. 
Uh, I, I do different things. I think it, it depends on your learning style. So some people like watching competition video. I'll watch some competition video, especially if I have a tournament. When I do research, I want to do research on the guys I'm going against. Um, I think for me, a lot of it's just positional training. So actually, just putting myself in a position and trying to figure out the move. And uh, that's that's one that's one reason I got into YouTube. Just because I like that problem solving ability. I think everybody's different. For me, that's like the best way to learn. Just get in there and try try the move. Um, also, competing. Like I think competing is a great way to learn. I did uh, who's number one recently, uh, like maybe three weeks ago, and I, I learned so much from that match. Just one match, I was able to see like some holes in my game and a lot of things I need to work on. So um, I, I try to use some combination of, of all those things. You know, watching competition video, instructional videos, competing, and positional sparring. Think are all great ways that I've used. Them. And when you're doing positional sparring, let's just dig into that uh, a little deeper for a sec. Are you with your partner? Is that something where you guys are kind of doing progressive resistance, where he's resisting less at the beginning and then upping it, upping the resistance as, as you get more comfortable with the move and you want to get a, a more realistic look, or is it just Situational sparring in the sense that, hey, we're going to start in this position and, and we go live from there and, and you can resist fully. Like, are, are you are you kind of a progressive resistance guy? Are you doing just kind of diving in and just working with the position? Uh, it's a little bit of both. Uh, so I – and also how, if you know someone really well, of course, you can maybe like go a little bit more faster pace. Uh, usually I'll start slow just to kind of warm up and uh, just kind of – really technically break down the move and like to its like core techniques and then slowly start adding more resistance uh i have one video i had recently we're doing like a knee cut and you can see me telling my partner okay add more resistance add more yeah. resistance and so um i'll i'll try that's one way to do it also you know in training like regular rolling you can kind of put yourself in a position or force a position and try to work from there without your partner knowing um one thing i a good way to like uh, control the resistance is by going going with different levels of partners. So you know, you go with white belt, you're probably going to get some crazy reactions, but a lot of resistance. You go with the blue belt, maybe you're getting a lot of technical uh, feedback, but not as much resistance. So that's one way I would really use to uh, kind of mix it up, not mixing up my partners, and because uh, everyone's you know everyone's different, they're going to have a different approach and different reactions. So. Um, you know, my my it, it's it's one of those things where I can describe it, but really you just got to get in there and do it. You know, you just got to get in the mud, you know, and just kind of figure it out. What is the typical breakdown of a class for you that you're teaching? Like between like introduction to it, whatever technique you're doing, you know, into the isolation sparring of it and then just to like live rolling. Like how much, what do you think is the most... Um, because we get into this discussion a lot, just between knowing me is like people, people just want to roll, right? Like yeah. they, they, they want to come to class. They want, they don't want to do the warm up. They, if they could just get on the mat and roll, they would, um, you know, drilling, forcing them to drill and to actually try to do what was taught that day is the hard part. Um, do you structure your classes that sort of in a way that just sort of you command the mat and tell them, Hey, this is what we're doing for the next 10 minutes or, do you sort of like let them play in the sandbox a little bit, just start there and then like kind of go, like you said, like where they can experiment and, and figure it out. Mm -hmm. I, 
I well, I experiment with the class uh, settings too. Um, I've had classes where, like in Sweden, we had classes where it was like an open map, but you just had to come in and do positional sparring. Um, I think, like when I was in Orlando, for instance, that's the last time I was teaching a class. I would have it organized to where, you know, we would bow in immediately, go into the mat, and I would show the technique. Uh, whatever the technique was, it would probably be off of a series of moves. So say we were working collar sleeve, it would probably be some move off collar sleeve or something. And then I would give the guys maybe like five to ten minutes to kind of just drill the technique and warm up some. And then maybe uh, if I wanted to do another technique, another five to ten minutes on that technique. And, but I, I would gear the class mostly towards positional sparring. So a good minimum of like 30, 25 to 30 minutes on positional sparring. And then uh, the rest of the class would be free sparring, like positional sparring, just to get that uh, good muscle memory development. Mm -hmm. And then free rolling, maybe like two or three rounds of free rolling, just so you can kind of apply it in your own game. And then I would end the class on like maybe five to 10 minutes of like Q&A or just oh, any, any, maybe, you know, feedback from the students or any details I missed or forgot to mention in the class. Um, so it's pretty streamlined. So, uh, you know, going back to teaching kids, you get really good at developing like a uh, sense of time management. Okay. I'm talking too long. Okay, kids, let's go, let's go, let's do something <laughs> like, and same thing with adults. You can develop that sense uh, when people are kind of ready to move on to something. And uh, I think for me, just good time management is a skill that a lot of instructors don't have that, man, that can, completely change your game what do you do when it comes to situational sparring to keep it fresh and not stale for let's say your average student like like i said we we, uh, we kind of concede here that's like you've got the jujitsu nerds that they're going to be fine like they're going to figure out a way to be interested and engaged but we agree that kind of like a lot of people show up because they just basically want to do randori when it comes to situational sparring are there anything are there things that you do that you think are special to keep things fresh and keep those students engaged through that period before they get to the free sparring section? Uh, I, I, I think people like the positional sparring more because I, I can gear the positional sparring almost like a game in that, you know, instead of you getting your guard pass and then you're stuck on side mount getting crushed, it's like, okay, restart. And so you, you we can gear it so you never get too kill too badly you can always like it's like a video game you just restart the match restart the game and uh i think you, like you know the way the human brain is built it's like it's designed to solve problems so you know if i put you in a position and you have to work out the solutions i think a lot of times that um kind of keeps your mind preoccupied you know instead of i don't know if you guys have ever done dealt with like white belts and they're like what do i do i don't know what to do it's like yes the more yeah. freedom they have the more freedom they have, the more questions they have. But like once you start limiting their options a little bit, then it's like uh, a little bit more manageable. And uh, I think that's a great way. That's how we introduce uh, training to white belts. Like, all right, guys, we're gonna start in close guard. You got this position. Okay, all you have to do is get out. And then that's simple. That's all they want. Okay, what do I do to get out? And that's all they have to focus on. So when it comes to uh, that situational sparring, one other question, uh, how long are your rounds? Are they one minute round, 30 seconds, two minutes? Like what are the time intervals? Uh, typically, like say some type of spider guard, for instance, okay, the person on bottom is going to be working for maybe five minutes. And then 
during that five minutes, whatever happens, you know, maybe they sweep their par- partner or submit the partner. They just restart. And so it's, it's not too long of an interval. It's just enough time for you to work. And then we'll have maybe those guys switch. So the guy that was on bottom goes on top. And so you're, you're getting not only the bottom experience, but also the top experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's pretty comprehensive. But so you understand you, like how to attack and also how to defend. Yes. So what you're doing is just to, to kind of restate what you said, it's you, you're simplifying the objectives so that instead of being a, an, a role where there are, like you said, limitless options that can overwhelm, you know, even a colored belt in terms of what to do, it's, hey, we're going to start in this position. If a sweep occurs or someone breaks the position, reset. And basically, you're making that the objective of, you know, the guy on top is trying to pass spider guard, collar sleeve spider, fine. The guy on bottom is trying to do a sweep. And that's it. If one of those two things happens, reset, and, and it keeps things kind of uh, more just simpler and, and more straightforward so the people know exactly what their objective are. You're, you're basically reducing the objectives to one or two for each person. Is that fair to say? Yeah, essentially. Um, and then, you know, you could build a whole game off of, like, doing different positions. And then we, what we do with the free rolling is try to, like, uh, combine all the positions together. So say you did, like, a collar sleeve position with sparring, but you also did, like, maybe two weeks ago you did, like, a half guard position with sparring. So eventually, like, you, you're, the goal would be to, for them to be able to connect their guards together or whatever reactions together just from that uh, experience. I don't know if that makes any sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, What are your thoughts on white belts rolling? Like, this or, is, yeah. This like, is a, like you a, got a student walks in the door. Um, I'm I'm sure you've seen different like what what's your thought on that? Should they be able to roll right away? Do they roll six months in? Do they not roll until they're blue belts? Do, what you know? I've heard different thoughts on this. What are your thoughts on how do you onboard a brand new student in jujitsu? Uh, I would use that positional sparring. So um, I remember in Sweden, in Sweden we had a lot of mixed uh, classes. Well, we we did like a different uh, setup, but eventually we had like a beginners class that got pushed into the advanced class and so you know a lot of my instruction was always kind of designed to like get a white belt up and running as fast as possible you know and so you know you could be a brand new white belt and but maybe you spend like a month in closed guard you and that white belt might be sharper than a blue belt or purple belt and in the closed guard so um that was always my kind of uh thought process like let's get this white belt up and running as fast as possible and so uh Man, just positional sparring. That's the only way. And you tend to favor, uh, let's say, teaching them like positions and guards versus submissions. Like, what do you, I mean, this is a hard one to answer, but Mm -hmm. what do you think are like the core earliest principles that a beginner should learn that helps them onboard the quickest? Uh, When I was in Orlando, I taught a few beginners classes. And so, like, I think once I got there, up until when I left, I had them working close guard. So, you know, six to seven months of just close guard. Oh, wow. And the one submission I, I had them drill, we did different variations uh, and different setups, but it was the triangle. And so I think um, if I had to pick one move that, like, okay, you have a good guard, you know jujitsu, it would be the triangle choke. You know, it's just like a very technical move. And um, I think once you can get that down, 
you know, you're going to have confidence in your guard and you're going to be able to do just about any submission, you know. Uh, that's what I, I focused on. I had the guys do lots of positional sparring from close guard. And, man, I I worked triangle so much that it was crazy. Like, the white belts, like, they, they, they knew almost everything about the triangle more so than, like, like, imagine you spent six months working, like, triangle. Like, of course you're going to be, like, a killer at that move, so. And also just developing a submission-oriented game, like, uh, during open mats. Uh, the white belts, man, it would be crazy. They, you just see them go for triangle constantly because, because that's all they knew. And so I, I think that's a great um, – for me, that was a great starting point. It was uh, to develop, like, a very efficient but also attacking guard. I think that was, like, the best, the best way to go about it. So at what point, just speaking of guards, did you start to, because you have your, your short guard guard, um, which is really cool. And I, I've watched quite a few highlights of it, and I've watched you teach it a little bit. It's a, a spider with like a, like a shallow de la Hiva, and you, you switch back and forth between like single leg Ashi with that, maintaining that spider. Where along your jiu-jitsu career did you really refine that and, and get very, very effective with it? Uh, well, it's gotten better now, I think. When I moved to Sweden, because uh, I, I don't know if you guys know John Thomas. He's yes. pretty popular. Uh, just being able to train with him and work with him helped out a lot. Um, I mean, it's pretty much just a spider guard but from a short person's perspective. And uh, I think one thing, I don't know if you've seen some of my like uh, open guard videos like, I, I kind of know what works for, like, taller people, but also shorter people. And because there's not a lot of short guard players, open guard players, uh, there's not, there just, there just wasn't that much, uh, there was almost, like, no content. That's why I created, like, that short guard, uh, short guy guard. And, uh, it was just my perspective on how to, like, use a open guard game and kind of modify it. And, um, yeah, I just, man, I, I did my research. It was, like, nothing out there. Like, if you type in short, yeah, there, there's yeah, and it, it's very unique. I mean, like, I I think you might be the first person to ever do it. Like, it's it's um the only thing I can think of that's that's along the same line is there's a a BJJ fanatics video with Danaher and and uh, Bernardo Faria where it says how to triangle someone if you have shorter legs. But that's like yeah. I think the only yeah that's video that yeah. comes to mind where in the title and part of it is like what do you do if your leg and he speaks so matter of factly of he's like oh it's <laughs> it's not hard at all to do like you know how he, he's so like not, not that he's pompous but he just speaks so matter of factly about it too and I'm, I'm like man like <laughs> like oh is it that easy john okay well um no but it's it's yeah your, your short guy guard is is so unique um yeah it's, it's, that's, it's cool that's one thing where you have to like experience it like you know you're short when like you try to get close guard on someone and you're just holding on by your toes you're just like oh my god <laughs> so i think that definitely like uh you need someone like me to kind of break it down and um you know just go out there and try this stuff you know <laughs> you're i tell you what your your knee cut video saved my knees a handful of times because i i uh i tried to knee cut on somebody and it was hey god I, I wish i had seen it before i injured my knee about how you you, you kind of broke down, like, how to not injure your knee while doing a knee cut. Wait, didn't he have a coyote hook on you? He did. Um, but I still thought I could knee cut. <laughs> yeah. Stupid at me. That, at that point, you need to, like, go back. <laughs> yeah, like, square their hips up, right? Like, um, I know that now. But but also, like, how to not, like, it, it, it's, um, I, God, it was it was really good. But, um, yeah, it was a very, very good video. But I, 
I lost my train of thought. <laughs> the first beer like... is hitting Chris, so then he, yeah. he starts to lose his train of thought. I'm also <laughs> fasted, too. So. Oh, great. Even better. So, so when's the last time you ate? I ate last night. So, so Alec, one of my, my telltale uh, funny things is I don't... I, I have a really hard time eating before jiu-jitsu. Okay. I just I, I can't do it. I don't know what it is. Like maybe I have a super slow digestive digestive system or something. But if I eat within two hours before class, uh, yeah. like, I I can't train. Like I just yeah I yeah. So like our jujitsu class on Saturday morning is at eleven o'clock. So I haven't <laughs> basically. And if I wake up at like seven or eight, you know, and I got to deal with my son and stuff, and then I just don't have time to eat breakfast. So by the time I get to class, I'm literally fasted since like six thirty the day before. And the okay, first wow. calories that hit his stomach are hops and barley. Yeah, so that's uh, a. <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not the most healthy habit, but it's a. Uh, mm-hmm. I call it sort of intermittent. It's like intermittent fasting, right? Yeah, like yeah. IF. I'm just yeah. not uh <laughs> But what's your uh, how how what's the gym COVID situation up in Georgia right now? Are you guys all open? Uh, it's it's kind of all over the place. Uh, we have some schools that are open with like um, procedures, you know. Which I think is the right way to go about it. Having like, you know, sectioned off mats and you know, checking temperatures before you walk through the door. There are schools that are just going. They went right back to you know regular training. So uh, I, I think this is a difficult time for for everybody. I was talking to a friend of mine. He's like, man, the only person doing well is a uh, Bernardo Faria. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's the only one doing well. Yeah, uh, Michael Zenga, whatever his name is, right? Yeah, I think it's a tough time. Um, you know, I, I recently shared uh, some posts from Chris maybe saying, like, you know, the number of cases in your, your city or state are going up. You know, maybe start uh, taking a few steps back and really implementing those procedures. So, like, I, I just hope everyone's being careful out there. Uh, for me, I've just been training with a very small group of friends. And uh, that's, that's been, my, like, my approach that's been working for me. Is your gym shut down completely, basically? My gym? Yeah. Which, which, which one? I, I'm just training with my friends. So. You are? Okay, I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not. So you're not even? Okay. How, um, so you mentioned you mentioned Sweden. You went over to Sweden and you were training. Obviously, you've been in various places in the States. How, how much have you, uh, like, where are some of the, the, I guess, wildest places you've gone to and trained? Because both with competing and, and the fact that you can do seminars, uh, you've gotten out there. Uh, so I figured you might have an opportunity to drop into a lot of different cool gyms all over the world. What are some of your, uh, what are some of the coolest spots you've dropped into? Whether they're just like, hey, I stopped at Atos in San Diego or I went to this cool dojo in, you know, South Korea. <laughs> what are some of those cool Or gyms? Orlando, Florida. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Minutes away from Disney World. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, I've been to so many schools, like, it's, it's kind of hard to measure. Um, I, I think it's the people, you know, the people make the school. And uh, I met so many great people just from traveling and living abroad and competing. Um, I think, man, there's so many great places out there. There's places I've been to where I just had a layover. So I was like, hey, I'm going to go train over here. And it's like, oh, I made, like, a lot of great connections. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, I had to go back to, like, my first academy that I visited there's a plane flying over me. So, uh, oh, yeah, you're okay. We can still hear you. Uh, uh, I think I had to go back to my my first academy that I trained at. It was a little school in Marietta, Georgia. It was an affiliate of Alliance. And, man, it was just like, 
play Fight Club, man. It was dirty and dungy, and I was. Just, <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I walked in, I like I loved it from the first time. So, I think what what um your first time? What what year was that? Uh, it's like two thousand four, two thousand five. So oh wow, it's been a it's been a bit. <laughs> and it was so alliance. They had alliance had that many affiliates in America at that point. It was uh it was run by the first American black belt under uh, Jock Ray. Oh wow. Not not Doc Ray the fighter the yeah not not the, the, the Ronaldo Souza. So I, I just got lucky. There was a school that opened up close enough to where I could take a bus halfway across the the uh, the, the the county or whatever, and uh, I just got lucky, man. You know, I could have ended up anywhere. When you said you said you lived abroad, uh, was it just Sweden, or were there other places that you've uh, spent extended periods of time? Yeah, I just lived in Sweden for about three years. Uh, but you know how Europe is, it's so easy to travel. So I got oh, the chance awesome. to go to a lot of different countries. Man, it was a great experience. Like, I'm so happy I did it. What, okay, so two questions. Because I, I lived, I've, that's basically kind of what I did for three years after college. I lived two years in, in Spain and another year in South America. So uh, this is, this is a, a, a topic near and dear to my heart. Where uh, in Sweden were you? is my first question. Were you in Stockholm? Were you in a, a, one of the smaller towns around? Where exactly were you? I was in uh, Gothenburg. So it's the number two uh, city in Sweden. Mm -hmm. uh, but man, there's so, it's, it's like a four or five hour like train ride to get to Stockholm. So I, I had the chance to go out there a few times. And then uh, um, where I lived, was like right next to the water, next to ocean so staying like it's super easy did you have to get like an athlete visa to be there or yeah i had a residence permit and it, it's a lot easier like there than america so you pretty much just have the you get like a work contract and they have to prove that they can have enough money to pay you so uh, uh, it wasn't too too crazy to get how um how big was jujitsu in sweden then i mean clearly america's like probably number two behind Brazil, right? Um, yeah. Was it an up-and-coming sport there? Like, were there a lot of higher-level students at that time when you were teaching for those three years? Or was it, like, you know, you might have been sort of like the Gen 1 with John Thomas? Uh, they had some guys, um, you know, Sweden, Norway, all the Scandinavian countries, they have they still have, like, Viking blood in them. You know, fighting sports are very popular. Muay Thai, boxing, wrestling. Like, all those sports are those combat sports were super popular. So uh, luckily they, they had a lot of Brazilian uh, instructors maybe in the early 2000s, 90s, like late 90s that were, had been there before in Sweden. So um, and you still have some guys like uh, off the top of my head is uh, Peta out in Norway. You have uh, Pinfo, Alan Pinfo, uh, Bruno Mateus. So you had a, a few like really good Brazilian uh, black holes out there. And um, they, there are some really talented people. You have the Norwegians, Tommy and uh, Espen out of Norway. There's Max Limbald out of Stockholm. Tariq, he's got the Tariq Apata named after him out of Norway. Uh, Imad, Alan Buffoon. So there's there's a lot of really up-and-coming guys that are like doing really well in the, in the uh, European scene. Have you ever attended a BJJ Globetrotters camp or considered going to one of those? I tried to get on there, uh, the one they have in Iceland. Okay. Uh, but they they were like, oh, I've got enough people, so it didn't work out. Um, I have done a camp uh, out in Stockholm, 
and man, we had like I think like 500 people or something. I don't know how many people. It was something insane. And like I was teaching nogi, the nogi. Nobody wanted to do nogi, but like the gi classes would be like packed from like from like the floor to the ceiling. Like just there was no space to roll. I have a few videos maybe I can send to you guys, but like it was insane. That's crazy because I feel like nogi is like. Isn't that the is thing like now? The pro, is like yeah, it's the thing now. At least, so it's funny that you mentioned the Iceland camp because I attended the Iceland camp last year and it was a lot of fun. And the gym Mjolnir is is a phenomenal facility. Mm-hmm. So that just in and of itself to see and train there is just it, it's worth seeing. And the country obviously is super beautiful. But the um, I found that when they did the open mats, which were every day, and they were you know for three hours, if not four more people tended to uh, be be up for doing no-gi than gi. And I don't know if that's just because it's easier to travel with with no-gi stuff or mm-hmm. if that's just what's in style now. But I'm a little surprised when you said, like, you know, was, everyone was in a gi. I'm like, dang, dude. Like, <laughs> I feel like everyone's doing no-gi now. <laughs> like, that's the... It seems to be even, the pendulum swing. Even when I taught in, like, when I taught in Sweden, like, the gi classes were always bigger. When I taught in Orlando, like, the gi classes were always bigger. So I don't, I don't know if it was just me. Um, I, I try and do both. Like I like doing yeah, both. I mean, like, our our gi classes are twice the size of no gi classes. I have no idea we why. Offer that. less no gi classes though. That's a thing. Like I, I feel like I, I don't think if we offered more, I don't think more people would randomly show up to it. I think um, people who. I, so I I think the the thing with gi versus no gi, at least at our school, is that there is a fun like when there's a full schedule, there's fundamentals and there's a fundamentals gi class. So there's a clear like there's a clear class for beginners to go to sure. where they're with other beginners where there's where nogi's always been all level so I think there might be some trepidation and I on think some like people. and I think wrestling sucks. Well, you, it does. Mean? Like I mean, it's, I hate wrestling. I mean, like I'll I'll go. It's I mean, you know, I I I've just got my black belt and stuff, but and I, I'll do nogi for like you know. I show up to the wrong class one day or something. I'm like, God damn it. I guess I'll just do this slimy, disgusting thing. <laughs> but I think, honestly, like, who likes getting sprawled on? Nobody likes getting <laughs> sprawled on. Amen. No, nobody, nobody likes, I mean, like, at least with ghee, there's a barrier between you and them, kind of. You know, it's soaking up the sweat and stuff, man. But, like, yeah, two rash guards, it is. Oh, my God. It's just... There's just something about that that's just that viscerally, Dude, I gotta, think it just drives. You, you got a oh, pojada more, man. I, <laughs> I, mean, I told you, like, I mean, I actually perform better when I do nogi because it forces me to not stall. Yeah, and you can't. Right? Yeah. But you I, can't, I, I can't just. Hit, all, you I can't. can't just, you yeah. can't pull. <laughs> you know. But um. So Alec, when when you first started competing, when like at this point, you're you have you transitioned to exclusively because there's more professional jujitsu with no gi opportunities than there is gi opportunities because it seems to be a little bit more sexy i guess right with uh, things like I, adcc and that sort of thing have you favored one or the other at this point or i, I do both like i did uh before everything shut down i did the miami open in february and then europeans so i try and do both as much as possible you know i think um having that ability to cross over is super important because it no one does it really like uh, you know, there's a few good gi guys that would do no gi, but a lot of times they hate no gi. They just want to put their gi back on as soon as the no gi season is over. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the one guy that comes to mind to me is JT Torres. Like, that's the one guy that seems to be performing well at at, at a high level in both. You know, 
Um, I mean, there's, you know, JT, Lucas, uh, Roberto Jimenez, um, Kanan. Uh, you know, there's a few guys. There's a few guys that do both. Uh, I think the vast majority of people, like, they just pick one or the other. Do you feel that training, like, you, you just said, hey, I'll do both. I really don't care, and it's important to do both. Do you feel that if you... D- does doing both take away from the other or are there enough common underlying principles between the both of them that it it doesn't matter what you're doing like you as long as you're just grappling that's what matters think, or just uh, the gi is so nuanced i mean they both have their nuances i think uh it keeps it exciting so like when i put the gi on you know i can work on some really cool open guard transitions and things like that when i do no gi i can work more like leg entanglements i think you have to uh, enjoy both, you know, I, I really enjoy both and you know, there are some similarities and also big differences um, I think that's one reason a lot of people don't do both. So say like you're really good in the gi But then when you do no gi like okay, you don't have the grip So, you know, I've, I've talked to people that they're like I hate no gi because I can't grab anything And uh, I mean it's gonna suck for a while But you know say you do no gi for like two months and then man you like start to develop your game back to the same level so um, I, I just really enjoy doing both, you know, and it's easier. Was your first competition a gi or no gi competition? Uh, I think it was a no gi. It just was, was it like, really? a, like a naga back in the days. You know, you could do whatever you wanted to do a naga. Right, right. I think it was no gi. Uh, coming up, we, we did both. So we wore a gi. The charger says, okay, take a gi top off. Okay, no gi. So I think that's always kind of stuck with me. Um, you know, I, I like doing both then. I wish more people would do both. <laughs> I think there's something to like just going back to the whole Sweden thing. How that you were like, you know, Sweden had had like 500 people in a gi and like four people in no gi. <laughs> you know, like I think there's something about the gi that makes it look more like a quote martial art. Mm-hmm. You know, and then like no gi because there's no like a lot of times there isn't a, a, like a uniform. People are showing it from whatever rash guard and no. I definitely think I I do think there's right, a like, personality component to it. Yeah, like, like especially when when that one time I did go to the BJ Globetrotters, it was like. Nogi was like a chance for people to express themselves because they had the wildest. I have never like when he trains. Like most people are like we're wearing like some compression stuff. Yeah, some of them have designs on it, but it's like people are like rocking their a game like rash guards, like like going to church on Sunday. Yeah, like rash guards that they're like wearing that they're like no no they didn't see this any like this is a rash guard that I bet no one has ever seen before. (laughs) You know, like there's this one guy. and actually, he I, I bunked with him in the in the hostel near the place. His name was Sheldon. He all his all his rash guards, both spats and tops, were unicorn themed. Oh man! So this guy <laughs> had the most exotic. He also he also had a mullet. Like this guy, like caught everyone. Was he an American? Yeah, he was. What the hell? <laughs> and, and he's, he's Alabama. No, um, I believe Indiana. I apologize if you're listening to this, Sheldon. I messed up on. I apologize, but <laughs> Midwest. And yeah, but. Noah, like, where'd you get that gi? Where'd you get that? It was like a secret where all these people were getting their, their rather their rash guards. I said gi, but uh, so I think there's a bit of that where, and and I do think there's some counterculture there. I think people that that sure. are like against, you know, any sort of traditions, you know, like this I don't want to mount a helio on the, the wall. Gi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So this is this is their way to get back. It's like turn helio's picture the other way. Yeah, that is all <laughs> If, I mean, if it was only pearl else, or whatever it was. Right? <laughs> if, nothing, if nothing else, it should be seasonal. Like, man, it's cold. Okay, put your gi on. Okay, it's warm. Put your no gi. Like, I, I don't it would know, just man. be no gi all year in Orlando. Then, 
face. Like, Jesus. I, I don't miss the weather, guys. I'm sorry, man. Like, I, like, Yo, Atlanta's I, not the coolest place either, though, right? I mean... Uh, man, in Orlando, I had mosquitoes biting me while I'm training. I was like, oh, no. We had uh, the big bay doors and stuff. So, man, like, it's hot. Mosquitoes biting me. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, God. How did I just out of curiosity? How did you end up in Orlando? Uh, it was uh, before I w- left Sweden. Uh, the the owner of uh, in Orlando uh, contacted me, uh-huh. and uh, I had uh, I think I visited before. I have a really great friend Pedro Torres down in Orlando or Kissimmee, so uh, that was oh, kind of okay. my big motivation for going down there, so I could be closer to him and work with him. So yeah, I, I'm grateful I had the experience. You know, the uh, be the head instructor for the time i was there so i, I get, learned a lot and get bitten by mosquitoes and yeah yeah, and yeah. <laughs> jesus i remember like you know nogi like i was like okay my rash guard protect me and that rash guard didn't do nothing man <laughs> oh, no 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 man <laughs> they get through that shit they find they find the they find those thin areas i grew up in the northeast where it was i mean the bugs were so bad that you you actually said there's a bug season which was like late spring early summer the mosquitoes would come out and it was bad man and Oh, Jesus. Yeah, you, it's like they they always bite you around like your ankles where your socks are and stuff, and it's just it, yeah, it, it's nowhere it, near that bad in Atlanta, dude. Like I I can go outside and I'm not gonna die. That's <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, you, you do die down here. It's it is terrible. I mean, like just walking from the car to here, I was like, oh. My were God. You, were you? I mean, how humid is it in Atlanta compared to Orlando? Uh, I, I'm not sure if it's more humid. Um, yeah, it might be pretty equal. I, I'm not exactly how that how it works out. Okay. I, the thing about Atlanta, man, I, like, I, I'm not trying to like cri- be critical because basically, I'm, I'm well, I'm going to be critical about Atlanta. The one thing about Atlanta that that overwhelmed me was driving into the city. Oh, and God, this was yes. this was like ten years ago. So God knows what it's like now. And it's like six lanes on one side, six lanes on the other side, and I'm like, how do I get to the exit I want to get to? I've never seen <laughs> highways that wide before. I feel like you guys have the widest highways in any part of the country. It was ridiculous. You've never been in California. No, I haven't yeah, been in California. Yeah. Okay, California's out of control. Okay. Yeah, like, <laughs> it's like, uh, like the on-ramp is an off-ramp for like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't, what am I doing here? Like, Yeah, we have like a few left turns off the highway, so you're just like, how am I supposed to get over? Like, <laughs> it's, like, it's, uh, it's rough, man. It's rough. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. So what, um, what are your plans now? I mean... Yeah, it's a tough question, from, right? Yeah, because yeah. everyone had plans for 2020, and and obviously um, a lot of stuff's gone down this year. Yeah, is ADC coronavirus going to happen is, again? Yeah, like, like what, what? Given all that's happened and stuff, what uh, what are your plans if you have any that are any sort of clarity given the circumstances for the rest of the year? Like, what are you trying to get accomplished, basically? Uh, I think for me, um, my biggest goal uh, is going to be the ADCC trials. So hopefully, they're going to keep. Uh, having that on in November, and uh, there's also like Abu Dhabi uh, thing in Miami, like in September. So uh, I think that's as far as my tournaments. Those are like the ones I have on my schedule. Otherwise, Where are the trials being held this year? Uh, New Jersey. So okay. I, I we'll see how that happens if that happens. Well, at this rate, don't move into Florida. Yeah, unless, exactly. <laughs> unless they shut, <laughs> everything they shut happens. Florida. We are the fight island, so they don't <laughs> except care. we're not. No. <laughs> um well listen dude it's been an hour um before we let you go uh any shout outs plugs you want to make i mean the floor is yours uh i think shout outs to my you know my friends that have helped me uh keep training uh jeff cummings austin c uh 
you know, it doesn't take very much to uh, stay stay sharp, but those guys help me, especially, like, with who's number one, staying ready. So thank you, guys. Um, if you guys want to support me, I have my Keeping the Guard with BJD Fanatics. I also release, uh, like, a solo instructional called, uh, it doesn't have a name, it's just called Reverse Dilahiva, and you can find it at reversedilahiva.com. So it was kind of my first attempt at making an instructional, instructional video, so uh, it's not... The best, but you know, it's it's not the worst. So wait a minute, I, I got to interrupt you. You actually were able to get the domain name. Yeah, how did, how did you score that? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as, as like as Delahiva's just like kicking himself right now. Like, like how did this guy get it? Like, yeah, like yeah. I that's that's my name. Like, like, <laughs> that's, that's great. That's awesome. Wow. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's awesome. Um, yeah, any other, sorry, I, I just had to, like, I had to point that out because that <laughs> kind of thing yeah, always I mean, catches me. So BJJ Fanatics for ReverseDelahiva.com. Any other uh, plugs? Uh, I have a new project coming out with BJJ Fanatics. So hopefully next few weeks I can, I, I haven't worked on it, but it's it's going to be set in motion pretty soon. So just be on the lookout for some new projects for me. Awesome. And, uh, you know, best way to follow me is just online, guys. You know, I'm everywhere posting, so, um yeah, man. Thank you guys for the support. Hey, man. We really appreciate thank it. Thank you it's for been a time. great time. And um, yeah, we'll, we hope we'll, to do it again sometime. Yeah, for sure. If, you, if, if you'll, you know, these two idiots <laughs> decide to call on you again, hopefully you, you won't be, you know. But we appreciate the time, man. Best of luck uh, with everything this year and best of luck with your training getting ready for those two tournaments. We'll definitely be rooting for you when you enter both of them. Thank you. And there you have it, Alec Balding on BJJ and Brews. Alec, thanks again for making the time. We really sincerely appreciate it. Guys, Alec Balding, check him out. He's on social media, at Alec Balding. He's got a bunch of awesome instructional short videos on Instagram to check out. Techniques that range on everything. Short guy guard, uh, collar sleeve, all this cool stuff. He He's constantly putting out content. So if you want to go down a rabbit hole of just seeing cool techniques... Alec Balding's a great place to, to start. So check out his social media, Instagram, at Alec Balding. Also, as he mentioned, BJJ Fanatics. He's got multiple instructionals up there. If you're into that, check him out, Alec Balding, at BJJ Fanatics. And then finally, you've got his own instructional on reversedelahiva.com. Again, I still can't believe he got the domain, but he's got it. So check out reversedelahiva.com for more content from Alec if that's something you're interested in. And of course, you can follow him. He's a competitive grappler. You can find a lot of his matches online on YouTube, on Flow Grappling, wherever you like to find grappling matches. Check it out. As he said, he's looking to compete in two upcoming events. Obviously, 2020 has been a wild year, to say the least. So if those events go on, look for him in those events. If not, like everything, we'll play it by ear because we're just trying to open things up and get as much jujitsu happening in the world as soon as we can, but we got to do it safely. So anyway, that's our show. Come back next week, same time, Saturday, Sunday-ish. Usually right now we're doing Sunday night dropping, but it's over the weekend, so you've got a new episode to listen to throughout the week. We will catch you down the road until next week.